Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and it was a tough one for the birds as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 273. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell about the Eagles and their week three battle against the Cincinnati Bengals. A tie is a tough one to swallow, I know, and Greg and I are going to talk about the good and the bad from this game, as well as preview the team's Week 4 matchup against the San Francisco 49ers, all at the top of the show in Chalk Talk. Before we get going, though, just a quick reminder, if you have it lately, please jump on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you leave us a question, I promise that I will answer it here on the show. If not on our early week episode with myself and Greg, then for sure on our late week episode with myself and Ben Fennel where we always dive even deeper into the Eagles' upcoming matchup. You can also catch Ben and I, by the way, every single week, twice a week, over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. We are talking college football, all the top draft prospects, who are going to be the top players in next year's NFL draft. We are talking about it every single week. Not just myself, but Ben Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, Ross Tucker, rotation, Rolodex of guests every single week. So make sure you go check that out on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. All right, enough of all that. Let's dive now into our chat with Greg Cosell. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, back again for another segment here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, my friend Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, welcome back to the show. Welcome to week four. Uh, Yes, it is week four, and so far so good. So I'm looking forward to week four, Fran, as I'm sure the Eagles are. Yeah, no question. And look, it's obviously, um, you know, as I mentioned at the top, still kind of weird to say uh, the Eagles coming off uh, a tie in week three against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you know, I have not been here uh, in for the uh, working for the Eagles when they've ever had a tie. So this is certainly a first for me. But, uh, no, I think when you look at this game, a lot of takeaways, and I think there were some good and some bad, certainly, Greg. And watching the film, I guess, offensively, and we'll start on that side of the ball, it all starts obviously with the quarterback and he's still, you know, we're talking about Carson Wentz. It's still an uphill battle for him right now. He's still trying to, you know, find that timing, find that rhythm. Um, you know, he was under pressure for a good chunk of this game, especially early uh, in the first couple quarters. And he just, he just really could not get into a rhythm for much of this game, uh, at least throwing the football. Yeah. <clears throat> he's finding it all right now. And I remember through the years, you know, when I, when I worked with Ron Jaworski and he'd be, here every single day. And, and, you know, I learned so much from him. I started working with him in 1990 and he would always talk about when you're struggling. And he said, all you can do is really rely on what you've been taught, rely on your fundamentals, your mechanics, and just keep going out there and doing it. He says, if you're talented and we know Carson Wentz is, you will get through it. So all you can do is just keep going out there and playing. I mean, there's no, we, we're not going to sugarcoat it, friend, because the tape doesn't lie, as you well know. So we're not going to sit here and say that two or three really good throws make for a great game. Um, but you hope that you, you, you did see some of those throws. Obviously, there were missed throws. Um, and I think you're seeing a quarterback that clearly, if you just, again, this is not an X and O point, that is probably just a little uncomfortable now, and you just have to keep fighting through it. Look, I'm not a professional athlete. You know, I did play sports in, in high school and college. And, you know, I remember in, in high school when I started off my senior year really poorly in baseball after having a great junior year, and you know, you go up to the plate and you feel like you're never going to get a hit again ever in your life. You know, right. and of course, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, you just got to keep doing it. And if you're talented like Wentz is, it will come back. We've seen enough of a sample size of Carson Wentz over his career to know that, that this is the outlier, that there is a progression to the mean coming. Uh, it's a matter of just getting out of it and playing through it. And, get, you know, and we know that he's got uh, that mental toughness to be able to get through it. It's one of the things that the Eagles have loved about him going back to his days at North Dakota State. It's a matter of fighting through this adversity uh, and coming out on the other side. And I think now, you know, there's – 
a lot, a lot of other things at bay here too, as well, right? I mean, you're talking about the other injuries on the offensive side of the football. They had another, you know, more injuries along the offensive line, more injuries to the skill position players. They lose Dallas Goddard. They lose Deshaun Jackson here uh, before halftime. Jason Peters goes down in overtime. Sounds like he's going to be day to day. Sounds like Deshaun Jackson is day to day. But Dallas Goddard, uh, according to Doug Peterson on Monday, going to miss time. So you're again. You're going in now into week four against this battle against San Francisco. You're down Jalen Rager. You're down Dallas Goddard. You're down Isaac Sayamalu. You're down, uh, you know, you have uh, Deshaun Jackson who's going to be hobbled in day-to-day. He's going to be nursing something. Miles Sanders, uh, Doug Peterson said today, was battling through something today uh, on Sunday. So uh, this is a team that's banged up on the offensive side of the football. A lot of teams in the NFL are banged up right now. San Francisco is banged up. They've got a bunch of players uh, not playing in this game, but – Carson Wentz is going to have to fight through this, you know, fight through the, the struggles that he's having, but he's going to be doing it again, uh, you know, with this cast that, you know, due to injury, due to attrition, it's, it's you know, not exactly what you say is an ideal situation for him going into week four. No, and I, I agree with you. And, you know, but the bottom line is, and, and again, we're not here to, to, you know, this is not, you know, all, all rainbows here. We know that. And so we're not going to say that, yep. but obviously we also know that, as you said, Wentz has a track record. That's pretty good. And, you know, there are certain plays in this game and it may be people listening, find this hard to believe because obviously you're tying the Cincinnati Bengals and the performance overall was not very good, but there were specific plays that, that make you realize that, Hey, you know what? The quarterbacks played at a high level before, and we sure hope he can again. And my guess is he will, because I think the sample size has been large enough for us to indicate, you know, he's played a lot of games in the NFL now. It's not as if he had three good games and now we've, we've seen this. So, you know, there were specific examples where the mental and the physical came together really, really nicely, such as the touchdown pass to Greg Ward for 29 yards near the end of the first half. Take so, us, take us through, take us through that play and why that was so impressive, Greg. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because you're watching the tape, and you know, I'm watching it, and obviously, I saw the game live as well, and I'm watching the tape and going, "Wow, this is not really a good performance by Carson." And then you get to that play, um, and I'm seeing what the Bengals did. The Bengals show man coverage, and they show it real, really clearly because they had their slot corner, Mackenzie Alexander, run with uh, Burnett's return motion. So you're thinking, okay, it's man coverage. And then immediately, as just about as the ball snapped, with disguise and late movement, they get out of what was also a double mug front look with two defenders in the A-gap on the line of scrimmage, and they move to cover two. And this all happens really fast. And Carson recognized all this immediately, and he knew in cover two that one of the openings is the whole shot on the sideline. And that's what Greg Ward ran. He just ran the vertical route from the sideline because the corner does not run with a vertical route in cover two. And Wentz just immediately processed that and, and then stuck it on Ward. That was his best play of the game mentally. That was a really good play by Wentz. And what I love about it too, Greg, was that they showed that same look the series before. Yeah, it was not exactly the It wasn't the exactly. It wasn't exactly. Yeah. But it, was, it was a very similar kind of look. You saw Greg Ward going down the sideline. They had a two shell on that side. And he threw the check down to Zach Ertz underneath. He threw it to Ertz, and, and Phillips was sitting there, and he tackled him on third down for, you know, I think it was third and eight, and it was a five-yard gain. It's yep. funny you say that because I think that was with, was with 335 left in the quarter, in the second quarter, and I made a note of that thinking, gee, is that going to be the exact same look on the Ward touchdown? Because obviously I'd seen the Ward touchdown live on Sunday, but it wasn't exactly the same. Yeah, it's, but it was just, you know, you know, you go to the sideline, they look at the screen grabs, they look at the, the shots from, you know, from up above, and they say, oh, you know, the, hey, this is what they did on this play. You wonder if that kind of factored into it. But just outstanding, you know, agreed. Great mental and physical play there uh, on the touchdown to Greg Ward. So, look, we've, we've talked about it. Carson, uh, you know, fighting through, um, you know, his issues, throwing the football right now. I think one of the things that we like, obviously that play, but even with his legs, Greg, I thought that, you know, especially when you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, lose to Sean Jackson, you lose Dallas Goddard, the guys that are banged up as well that are playing in the game, they're going to have to find ways. They, they, they did on Sunday. They have to find ways to get first downs, to move yes. the football. And if that means that Carson has to run the ball a little bit more and, and you know, work outside the pocket, work outside of structure, we know that he can do that and throw the football. But if that means he's got to take off and get 12 yards, if he's got to get seven yards, we saw it for a 24-yarder on third down uh, on Sunday. That might be something that he has to do over the next couple of weeks. 
It might be, but that might get people nervous too, I just know. because of his wow. history. But yep. but you're trying to win games. I mean, that's the way it goes right now. But you're almost back to where you were for the final four games last year, maybe even a little less because Goddard's out. So you're right. You nailed it. I mean, at this point, and you know how it is for coaches, no matter who you play, and obviously the Niners are not a, a walkover, um, no team is, but no matter who you play in this league, every coach will tell you how hard it is to win on Sunday. But right now the goal is to get first downs. It's as simple as that. That's all you're trying to do. Uh, you know, that was the goal of the last four games last year when they weren't necessarily, I know they scored over 30, I believe, against the Giants, but they were not putting up 35-40 in those last four games. The goal is simply to get first downs. And look, I think one real positive in all this, as he was a year ago, is Greg Ward. Yeah, no question. Greg, Greg he, he is, it's just so crazy to think about his development. And obviously it's taken a few years, but I think it's just a, a great example of the patience that uh, everybody should have, you know, with some of these young players coming out. And he was an undrafted free agent, but a guy making that transition from quarterback to receiver. I mean, he's, I would say the second best route runner on the team right now uh, in terms of, you know, you found yeah. maybe behind yeah. Zach Ertz. I mean, with what he's able to do to create that separation, look, he's, he's at his best in a phone book. He catched the 20 plus yard touchdown uh, that we just talked about, but he, he's not that kind of receiver. He's talking, you're talking about a guy that can work in the short game in the intermediate area of the field, create that separation. I thought that he was able to get open on a couple third downs once again uh, in this game and show that he can be a reliable target for Carson Wentz. They showed that on the sprint out late in the game where he was, he was the only option uh, on that play he was able to get himself open yeah, and run away from the defender the and get the first down consistently he seems to come up big on, on third down especially third and short third and medium for Carson Wentz look and as we saw in the touchdown and as we saw last year he's not simply going to line up in the slot particularly with all their injuries right so they're going to try to create some things um and that's what you have to do look you know I've always been a believer in this and and, and I I'm sure Doug Peterson is as well yes you have injuries but in the NFL, no one makes excuses. So now, you know, as a staff, you have to find ways. And I guarantee they're going to be working overtime this week, trying to figure out ways to create opportunities. Now, yeah. obviously, the players have to convert those. And sometimes, you know, you do and sometimes you don't. But you have to find ways. You can't just go into a game, no matter who you put out there, and say, well, all we can do is throw seven-yard passes. You can't do that. And, and they know that. I'm not, I'm not telling Doug Peterson and staff anything they don't know. It's funny you say that, Greg, because one of the first things he said today in his press conference, Doug Peterson, was that, uh, you know, that we looking moving forward, we have to find creative and unique ways to use all of our players on offense, the tight ends, the runners, obviously, with yep. Carson. We've done this before. We did it at the end of last season, last year. Uh, we won four straight games against in the postseason. And I, he says, you know, we're going to have to do that again. And I, I think that that's kind of the state they're in right now with the injuries. And they're going to get some of these guys back, right? I mean, you know, Jalen Rager's not done for the year. Dallas Goddard, not done for the year. They're going to get some of these guys back. But it's a matter of figuring out how do we get a win on Sunday? How do we get first downs, get touchdowns on Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers defense? And, uh, you know, I think you look at it, it's like you look at Zach Ertz, you know what you have. You look at Greg Ward, I think we got – you kind of know what Greg Ward is. We, we know, know what, what Miles Sanders yeah. – yep, we know what Miles Sanders can be for this offense. Now you look at the other complementary players. What can they do with Boston Scott? What can they do with Richard Rodgers? What can they do with John Hightower? What can we they played do with 78 snap this, yep. snaps this week. You know, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside had the injury, came up late uh, in the pregame process yesterday, so he was still active, only played uh, a handful of snaps. But, uh, you know, he said he's day-to-day. Doug Peterson said he's day-to-day. So uh, if he's healthy, how do you use him? Uh, you look at Jalen Hurts. How do you try and maximize what you get out of all the guys that are active for the offense and the skill, skill position player uh, position groups? How do you get these guys going? Yeah, and so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they can come up with here this week, knowing that that's well, what, what Doug is saying on Monday. Well, one of the things that I think we'll see, and, and I really believe this, and we, we've seen it through the years, I think was it a Monday night game uh, early in Wentz's career? Was he a rookie when they went to Chicago? It was week two of his, of his rookie year. When they you know, came out with tempo, no huddle. I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing some of that. Just a way I think most quarterbacks are comfortable with that. You know, most quarterbacks like to play fast. You know, it, it's like pitchers of baseball. Most like to get the ball and throw it. You know, not all, but most. Um, I think Carson likes to play that way. I would not surprise me at all um, 
to see the, uh, the Eagles do some of that, go no huddle, you know, and again, when you go no huddle, that doesn't mean you're tossing it down the field 40 yards, but just, just get some tempo to their offense. Yeah. Doug Peterson actually said that in his press conference as well today, that, uh, you know, tempo is a good way to kind of unclutter things for the quarterback, uh, simplify things and, and really just let you play fast, you know, and that's what, you know, when you're talking about, uh, you know, creating some of those simple throws, some of those layup throws like that, that can come from those kinds of scenarios. And, you know, you go empty, you go hurry up, uh, try and get as much information as possible, keep things simple uh, and move the football. And we'll see. And again, going back to some of these things, like I'm interested to see what the, the package looks like for Jalen Hurts moving forward. You know, in week two against LA, he was a decoy on two, three, pl- on three plays, uh, you know, where you saw him in backfield actions. You saw him lined up in the slot. You saw him out wide. And then this week you see him three plays in the backfield and uh, used as a runner. And I think, you know, I'm interested to see how that continues to grow uh, because they're, again, they need to get a, they need to get creative with all the guys at their disposal. Yep. Jalen Hurts is a guy at their disposal and what they can do with him. Now he's got to take good, good, good care of the ball, put the ball on the ground one time uh, in sun, on Sunday. You can't have that obviously with the turnovers uh, with this Eagles offense. But um, again, just trying to figure out ways to use all the talent at their disposal. No, and I think right now you're at the orchestration point. You've got to orchestrate plays. You can't just rely on talent for plays to happen. You have to orchestrate and manufacture plays. Yep, no question. And so I think when you look at uh, a couple of these guys, you know, they, they were able to orchestrate uh, some nice things in the run game. And, my, you know, Doug Peterson said that Miles Sanders was fighting through some things, um, you know, for on the injury front late in this game. Um, but I you saw some a lot of different run schemes, especially early. You know, we saw the wham trap play. Yeah, uh, yeah. We saw a couple tackle traps in this game. We saw the draw play. Eagles not historically a big draw team, but uh, they, they got a draw for a first down. You had that really nice misdirection run where they pull the left guard in the center going left and they send miles to the right uh, to kind of mess with the second level defenders. They did some nice things uh, in this game and they had the, you know, some other misdirection runs in there as well. Um, It was just a matter of, you know, miles being healthy and uh, you know, the situation kind of presenting itself for the run game. And I think they'll have to do that against the Niners. Even with their injuries, they're a very good run defense. Uh, You know, they're very good at linebacker. And uh, I think they'll have to, again, same point is they'll have to be creative in the run game. They can't just line up and hand it off. They're going to have to try to find ways to, to play with the, with the eye discipline of, of particularly second-level defenders. And we'll get to that Niner defense, but they have two really good linebackers in Fred Warner and Quan Alexander. No doubt. And it goes without saying, obviously, getting Miles involved in the passing game as well. The screen game just not clicking for this team right now. Um, you know, so trying to get Miles involved in other ways in the pass game uh, would be a huge benefit. Obviously, Carson missed him uh, on that vertical shot play, um, you know, the, on the on the double move outside the numbers. But uh, they will need to find different you know, other ways to be able to get him involved as a pass catcher. Uh, Zach Ertz really came on, especially from the second quarter on. After Dallas Goddard left, you saw some uh, some big plays for Zach Ertz. Uh, you know, you mentioned um, – um, the, the rookie John Hightower playing, you know, almost 80 snaps in this game. Yep. Uh, yeah, I thought he had some mental errors, some assignment errors that he's going to have to get cleaned up. Um, but some nice things down the stretch, especially in the fourth quarter, had a couple, uh, you know, important drawn penalty flags uh, on the final drive to tie the game. Uh, you know, there, you know, I think he had a catch in overtime as well on a slant route. So, uh, you know, some some things from John Hightower again with all these young guys, just trying to put them in the best position to be able to help this football team moving forward. Yeah, and people, you know, obviously Hightower's got to play now, but he, he was a fifth-round pick. You know, when you – look, you hope all your picks work out, but fifth-round wide receivers normally are not meant to play 60, 70 snaps a game in the NFL. Yeah, it's uh, – you know, and he's still, again, still figuring it out. And hopefully J.J. Ortega-Whiteside can be healthy and we can start to see some of the things that we saw from him over the summer uh, where he had a strong training camp. But um, that obviously remains to be seen uh, once the live action has begun, begun here over the last month. Uh, all right, let's get – to the offensive line, um, you know, look, it was a different offensive, three three different games, three different offensive line combinations. You know, Matt Pryor comes in at right guard. Nate Herbig goes to left guard. Jason Peters leaves the game in overtime. Jordan Mailata steps in at left tackle. What do you think overall the offensive line performance? I thought, um, you know, Jason Peters struggled, especially early in this game in the first couple quarters uh, with Carl Lawson. Uh, they were able to create some, you know, create some lanes in the run game. But uh, overall, the, the, the pass rush for the Bengals, uh, able to get to Carson yeah. West a little bit more often than you would hope coming into this matchup. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's a little bit of a concern. And that also limits what you feel you can do, Fran. You know, you know we always talk about taking shots, and I'm a big believer in that. But you got to be able to protect to do that. and 
you know, I think it's a little up and down right now. It's a little erratic. It's good. It, that's an area that's going to have to be better or else, you know, what happens? You get stuck with quick game kind of throws and those throws are not deeper throws. Normally, I mean, the fade balls can, you can still do, but I mean, anything you want to do where you run route concepts like a dagger, you know, things that are intermediate level type throws, vertical type route concepts. Those are hard to do if your offensive line is not protecting well. Yeah, no question. It's something that certainly is going to have to get corrected uh, moving forward into the next few weeks. Um, Let's go to the defensive side. Defensive line, eight sacks, 18 quarterback hits on Joe Burrow. Uh, You know, we talked last week – it's tough. It's hard to get a pass rush going against boot action, and when they're when the LA Rams are executing that offense the way that they were, uh, you know, I wouldn't put last week's game necessarily on the pass rush, but being able to see them against Cincinnati, obviously the offensive line not one of the best in the NFL, um, but certainly that's what you want to see is that in that matchup is the defensive line do exactly what they did against that Cincinnati front. No, and I thought they got the pass rush cranked up in the fourth quarter in overtime. Yeah, you know, Cox had some good pass rush snaps. Graham had some dominant snaps. Um, you know, they really did get it cranked up with their four man D line pass rush. And you know what? You, you almost want to say that you, you you were expecting that because that group for the Bengals is not very good, particularly the interior three. Um, and by the way, the you know, for the Niners that you've had you have some options there as well. And, you know, we'll get to that. But but no, that's something you really did want to see. And, and they got it cranked up pretty good. Yeah, I thought they did some good things in this game. You know, we they talked stunted last... more too, Fran. They stunted more. They did, and they did some good things with their alignment. They showed some yeah. some uh, some looks pre-snap uh, to try and you know attack the the Bengals' empty protections, their five-man protections, and create some favorable one-on-ones. We saw that in the sack for Derek Barnett uh, in the yeah, second. Yeah, when he was quarter. matched on the tight end. Yeah, they yeah. did a nice job. I mean, and the thing is, is it's what's his name Burrow recognized all that, and he called the tight end into to pass protect, which was absolutely the right thing to do. But then Barnett just beat the tight end. Yeah, I mean, and that's the that's a win when the when they're bringing a tight end to block the DN one on one, you're taking that as a win. But it's still up to the coverage to be able to force the quarterback to hold on to the football. The Eagles drop both linebackers out. You've got five offensive linemen against three defensive linemen, and then you've got the tight end one-on-one with the DN backside like that. That's exactly how it should be drawn up. Uh, the Eagles did a great job of attacking the protection scheme and getting the matchup they wanted. And then Barnett able to take advantage of that. Um, we saw a sack from Josh Sweat in this game, which is a really nice pass rush move in the opening drive. Uh, you mentioned that the, the, the well, I scores. thought that was on Burrow. Yeah. I mean, it's, he had, he had, a, he, move. He, had a, he had a guy on the, on the right side. wide open on the pivot route versus LeBlanc within, and he had time to make that throw. I don't know. He only, he could tell you why he didn't turn it loose, but Sweat I, didn't make a really nice move. I kind of wondered if the, if it was like the, if he, he wasn't expecting that kind of leverage because the, the Eagles had played, you know, came out too high shell uh, to start that play, uh, you know, and then rotated out because, you know, Jalen Mills rotates down. He takes on the back. I have to look, I wonder if LeBlanc kind of changed his leverage and he wasn't right, that's expecting possible. What, yeah, and he wasn't expecting right. that. Uh, but uh, again, you know, again, going back to the disguise. It was um, still a good move though by sweat. No question. There's a really good rush there uh, from Josh Sweat who continues to just take nice strides, um, you know, moving forward into his third year. Uh, I'm trying to think defensive line-wise. We saw good things from Hargrave, from Javon Hargrave, uh, for sure. He looked a little bit more like his normal self after his debut last week. Malik Jackson, some more dominant snaps. This defensive line, like again, go, going back to it, this is what you hoped that this group would look like uh, in this game. So that was and they had, I think, a, a two snaps five. of uh, five D linemen and, and sub dime, yep. which we've seen before from Jim Schwartz. Yep. Um, what was interesting in this game, and we'll see going forward, is Edwards played in the in the nickel. With uh, with Nate Gary, not not Riley. Riley had a few snaps in the nickel, but it was predominantly T.J. Edwards. What'd you think? Um, I don't think it was a big factor in this game, right? But I'll be very anxious to see going forward. Like for instance, you know, we don't know if George Kittle is going to play this week, right? Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. And we'll talk about the, the linebackers in this matchup uh, going up against San Francisco shortly. Uh, Secondary-wise, I thought Darius Slay had a, had a really good game. Uh, overtime, I thought the particular, you know, he gave up that one catch to A.J. Green, tightly contested ball, yes. really good coverage. Uh, but after that, he made two big plays uh, in overtime to, to yep. force a punt on that opening drive. Um, you know, so I think the Eagles continue to get good things out of Darius Slay. Jalen Mills really involved with uh, the blitz package and just playing underneath in this game. A lot of man-to-man against the running back out of the backfield, whether that was Joe Mixon or Gio Bernard. Um, but he actually opened up for a sack uh, for Derek Barnett because of his ability to green dog off the tight end. Uh, so Jalen Mills, I thought, uh, showed up in this game. Just overall, though, Greg, 
a couple, you know, just a couple more missed tackles than you would expect from from this defense. You know what we've seen over the last four four years, where you well, know they've got the back lined up, you know, for a, a zero yard gain or a one yard gain, and it turns into four or five, and those kind of things add up. Well, a couple of things, a couple of points I'd make is clearly yeah. the Eagles are playing more man coverage this year through uh, uh, they're they're over sixty percent man coverage through three yep. games. They they clearly have kind of moved in that direction. Definitely. Secondly, again, if you're just looking at the tape and being realistic, and this is what coaches have to do, is there were two throws, you know, and, and if you're a Bengals fan, I would say this is a little concerning, you know, where Burrow had Higgins, uh, where Higgins beat, it was, uh, one might have been Maddox, one was Roby for sure in overtime, where the ball just kind of hung and lost energy on the back end. And if those balls did not hang and lose energy, you know, those would have been big plays. But uh but, hey, look, that's football. That's the way it happens. But the Eagles, you know, obviously because of what the Bengals brought to the table, played, you know, a ton of of, um, of, of sub in this game. They played, um, I think, 67% of their total defensive snaps were out, of, were out of a sub package. Which we don't think will be the case this week, Greg. And I guess that would make that. I think it's yeah. more. Yeah. I think it was more, actually, if I'm – it was closer to over 80% that now yeah. that I think. But I think we're now making as we can kind of transition now to yeah. this this weekend's matchup against San Francisco. Uh, with the way that San Francisco plays offensively, I don't think we'll see nearly as much of that sub package defense against the 49ers. Or would be my guess. Uh, no, we will not because the, the reality is the Niners. You know, as we do make that transition, the Niners have been in a base personnel grouping, meaning 21 personnel with two backs. 12 personnel with two tight ends or 22 personnel with two backs and two tight ends on 65% of their offensive snaps. So uh, my guess is uh, TJ Edwards will play a lot of snaps and so will Duke Riley, I would imagine. Yeah. And so you talk about what that means for, uh, from a personnel standpoint, I mean, we're not talking when they go two back, this isn't necessarily, uh, and got these, they've had all kinds of injuries at running back, but you know, if all, if everyone's healthy, this isn't Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman, we're talking about the use of a fullback and Kyle Juszczyk, who is really one of the, the linchpins of this offense. He, he is one of the guys that makes this whole operation go, Greg, if I'm going to pick a couple of players. I would agree with you, Fran. I mean, he's not an old school fullback when you think of, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Obviously, he's a terrific blocker, but he lines up all over the formation. He'll line up as a tight end on a line of scrimmage tight end alignment. He'll line up in wing wing tight end alignments. He's actually a very good receiver, not a volume receiver, but a very good receiver. I mean, he had a 41-yard catch, I think. I forget who was against maybe Arizona a few weeks ago. And, and, and that's where Shanahan is really, really good, Kyle Shanahan, at, at sort of getting to those kinds of plays that look like run. What Kyle Shanahan's really good at, in my view, is understanding the responsibility of specific defenders and attacking those responsibilities, particularly defenders who have both a run and a pass responsibility. He's really good at identifying those players and putting them in conflict. So this is going to be very similar to some of the things we talked about going into week two, right? Going up against Sean McVay and some of those things because McVay and that offense, they will do a lot of similar things. It's, it's a different look, um, right. but it's a lot of, it's the same ph- uh, philosophy. It's the same kind of tactical, uh, tactical advantages they try and generate just from different personnel groupings and different looks offensively. But they're, they're going to try and do a lot of the same things. There's lots of backfield action, lots of misdirection. It looks like one thing, but it's going to be another. It's all off the same basic uh, kind of, uh, of staple run plays, staple pass plays, and, and they're going to come out and they're going to attack you, and they're going to have all the counters off of that. Well, I will tell you this because I know Kyle Shanahan. He is not going to be happy about his run game because the fact is the 49ers could not run the ball this week. And, and, you know, that was against a giant defense. You know, you'd like to think the Eagle front is better. Although I must admit, and I'm, I know you watched the tape that I thought Dexter Lawrence for the giants, just as an aside was a man this week, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but the, the 49ers backs, not counting Brandon, Ayuk, and, and granted that's part of what they do, but the 49ers backs, had 28 rushes for 62 yards. That's that's not the way they want to play. They want to start with the run game and have the run game be be a, the stabilizing factor in, in everything they do. So he'll work on that this week. He's out, you're obviously playing against a very good Eagles defensive front, and I think the 49er offensive line is, you know, at center. They played Ben Garland. 
at um, at right guard. They played Brunskill, who I remember watching him come out of college. He, I think he weighed like 275 pounds. He was a tackle. Um, you know, so I think that's an area where you hope that the Eagles can, can if not dominate, certainly that would be an advantage for them. No question. I mean, to me, that's a, an area where, you know, again, going back to uh, that comparison to the LA Rams, like this is a team that wants to establish themselves on the ground. It starts with the run action and all the different things off of that. Uh, you mentioned that the running backs didn't have as much success on the ground this week. Uh, Tevin Coleman, the Eagle, or the 49ers placed on injury reserve last week uh, with an injury. Raheem Mostert, the former Eagle, who obviously uh, has been very productive over the last year and change for San Francisco, uh, he is nursing a knee sprain. He obviously missed this past week against the Giants. I haven't seen whether or not that, and it's still we're recording this Monday night at eight fifteen. But uh, you know, it's still a little bit early. We'll see if he is available uh, for this week. But uh, you know, that'll obviously be a huge shot in the arm for that offense. But you know, we, we've talked about this in the past, Greg, and you mentioned just now, you know, the use of, of guys like Ayuk. Debo Samuel last year, what they right. do with those receivers in the run game is not a gimmick. And again, going back to LA, the, what did what did we see from the from the LA Rams against the Eagles? Robert Woods on an end round for a touchdown. You saw Cooper Cup on the on the jet sweep. You're going to see those kinds of things from this San Francisco offense, which, you know, after just seeing what McVay did to them, I would imagine you'll see some of those same tricks out of this bag uh, for uh, for Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, and you know, who knows? Uh, you know, from everything I've seen today. Uh, they say Debo Samuel could be, you know, should be back at practice Wednesday, whether that means he plays. We never know that just because the guy's back at practice. But, you know, getting to your point, we saw what they did in the Super Bowl with Debo Samuel with those yep. orbit reverses and jet sweeps. We saw Ayuk last week have two jet sweeps on the first series of the game. And that sets up so much else because now you're concerned about that because the Niners use motion as well as any team in the league. And then we know he scored on an orbit reverse later in the game, which looked exactly like a gap scheme counter run. And by the way, I thought they ran more counter and more, excuse me, more gap scheme of which counter is a part, more mm. gap scheme runs this week than the Niners normally do. I've been studying the mm. Niners for a long time and normally they're a zone team, yeah. uh, but they ran a lot of gap scheme this past week. Um, Interesting. But the point I'm making is, is ultimately those kinds of plays are not gimmicks. Right. They're, they're misdirection plays. You have to be really conscious of splits. That IU touchdown on the orbit reverse, he had a reduced split. You know, those are alerts to a defense. That's film study leading up to the game. Those are all things you have to take note of when you play the Niners because they're so good at motions and formations and alignments. Hmm. Yeah, one big uh, loss that they did have in this game, Jordan Reed, the tight end, who had a huge week too, uh, twisted his ankle um, and uh, actually had a knee injury. Uh, sounds like he's going to be sidelined for a handful of weeks here for the 49ers and a guy that just has not been able to stay healthy. But he was looked very good in that offense yeah. in place and of George We don't Kittle. know, as you say, since we're recording Monday night, is George Kittle's status. Right. I'm, I'm actually that looking at That changes their offense a thousand percent. How does it change the offense, Greg? Well, Kittle, to me, is the best tight end in the game. And besides being the best blocking tight end, he's also incredibly athletic. And his, his ability to run intermediate routes, vertical routes, run after catch, uh, his run after catch is really uh, as good as any in the league. Um, but they use him on vertical route concepts. Um, so, you know, without Kittle, and certainly if we know Jordan Reed's out, then you have Ross Dwelly at tight end. Um, I don't know who is the next man up um, after Dwelly. I think they have Char Charlie Warner, who is a – Charlie uh, Warner, the rookie yeah. from Georgia. That's correct. Yep. Yep. And he's had some welcome to the NFL moments, yeah. you know, which, <laughs> which, you know, in a couple of games this year. Of he's course. an interesting prospect, but, hey, he's a rookie tight end. That's so right. So, Kittle is, is – you know, if he goes – that kind of, I think, changes the equation a bit for the Eagles and how they have to prepare and defend because Kittle is, is like I said, he's the best tight end in the league. And to me, you know, when you – and Kittle was supposed to be a game-time decision this past week. They declared him out beforehand. So, uh, look, if he was going to be a game-time decision for week three, chances are – I would say the, the chances are he's going to probably play in this game in some way, shape, or form, Greg. And obviously that's barring any kind of setback during the week of practice. But uh, we'll see. And the reality is, you know, coaches take this week to week, obviously, but, you know, they want to get on a roll because the Niners have some tough games coming up in a couple of weeks, you know, and they want to face those those 
you know, those teams that are in their division and other teams, I think they have New England coming up as well. You know, they want to be on a roll here. So, look, and you know how it is in the NFL, Fran. If you can play, you play. No no one says, oh, sit out. You're okay, but we'll just sit, sit you out another week. That's That doesn't work like that in the NFL. Uh, especially George Kittle. He doesn't come off uh, no, as a no, guy that's going to no. sit out uh, if he doesn't have to. Um, no. And just real quickly, I mean, looking at uh, – you talk about the base personnel and those versatile pieces. You look at Kittle. You look at Juszczyk. You know, we talked all we talk all the time about the 12 personnel with the Eagles and, you know, what that does to a, you know mess with opposing defenses. And I think when you look at the versatility of those two guys and their ability to come out in 21 or 12 or 22, I think that really allows you to, as an offense because – Juszczyk can line up in the backfield and they can come out and run, or he can line up out wide and run routes like a receiver. It's the same thing with Kittle. Uh, but I guess to an, to an extra extent, I guess it's a little bit tougher when you're dealing uh, with 21 because there's even a little bit more respect for, for the run threat. It's, 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 it's a tough group to be able to match up to when they're, when they're all clicking, when they're all healthy. Um, I have one final question for you for the, for the offense in terms of the skill guys. Obviously it matters, but does it matter necessarily in terms of the execution of the offense if Jimmy Garoppolo is at quarterback versus Nick Mullins? Again, it's Monday night. Uh, we don't know what Jimmy Garoppolo's status is, but your thoughts on just the, the Jimmy Garoppolo to Nick Mullins transition and back? Well, you know, I did a deep dive this summer on Garoppolo. I like Jimmy Garoppolo a lot. I think he's a good quarterback. This is a highly, highly schemed offense, and – I think I don't want to say anybody could run it because that's unfair and of not course. true. Yep. But, but I think that it's so well schemed that it presents the quarterback with real good opportunities to be efficient. Um, look, we know that Nick Mullins is not a big arm guy. He's not a physically imposing guy. He doesn't throw it as well as Jimmy Garoppolo. There are some things Garoppolo can do that Mullins can't, but Mullins can run this out. He ran it two years ago. Very well. In fact, it, it, the Niners were not good that year in terms of one loss record. And for people other than probably 49ers fans, no one knew who Nick Mullins was. But, you know, I've been fortunate to do 49ers radio for years. So I watched every snap of Nick Mullins and he ran the offense extremely well. Yeah. Um, and he did that this past week. Now, say what you want about the Giants. You know, there are people laugh when you mention the Giants these days, but that's not the point. They're an NFL team. And, you know, Mullins did some good things this week, made some good throws, some tough throws. Um, the other thing I would say is I think Brandon Ayuk really also changes their offense a bit because he's an explosive athlete. And I thought for his first game, he played very well. Yeah. It's uh, you know, this is a guy that obviously can come in and, and execute the, within the structure of the offense. And that's all that Kyle Shanahan is really looking for. Um, you know, especially you know, in term, when they're, when they're humming, if all these guys are healthy, Hey, we, we need guys to come in and execute the scheme. What do you think of the, on the O-line, Greg? I feel like this is one of the best tackle duos in the NFL with Trent Williams, who, who he's uh, great. He's, uh, he is a great player. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, I think, you, I think you could argue great. he's the best tackle in the NFL next to Bakhtiari, right? I mean, he's, he's outstanding. Yeah, he's outstanding. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I study tackles in great detail, so I'm not going to just talk out of my rear end here. But, uh, but I, I have watched Williams a little bit, and he's just really, really good. Um, I won't say McGlinchey at times has had some bad snaps in one-on-one pass protection. He had one this week, which I'm sure you remember. Yep. Um, which, you know, it's not going to, it's probably going to get a few laughs in the film room because they won, but it was not, a, it was not good. Um, he struggled a bit in three games at times. Not, not, not where you go, oh my God, he can't pass protect, but he's had some bad snaps and, you know, with Brandon Graham out there, it'll be, that should be a very intriguing matchup. Let's go to the defensive side. Robert Sala is the, the defensive coordinator. He comes from the Pete Carroll tree. So I feel like there's a, you know, a thought of what they do coverage-wise, what they do uh, pressure-wise. It, it is very much changing, right? Like it's, it's crazy it's cr- how much different it is. Uh, take us through the, the changes this year. Well, first of all, I watch as much tape as I can every week of everything. I can't watch you know, every game every week, as you know. But you know, I've, I've just been noticing, and I've been talking to my guys on the matchup show. I said, you know – there's a lot more quarters coverage and there's a lot more cover two in the league. And the Niners have moved in that direction. Seattle is too, right? Yes. Through three games, the Niners have played an almost equal percentage, Fran, of single high and split safety coverage. Why do you think, why do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think teams are playing more split safety quarters as opposed to single high? You know, I've been trying to figure that out. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I really don't at this point. I, I feel like I need to watch more. I mean, I know what quarters does. 
quarters gives your safeties, you know, far more in the run game, you know, and, um, but everybody of course says it's a passing league, but, you know, I think those are just platitudinous statements that sometimes mean things and sometimes mean nothing. Um, But it's, it's a clear change. So many more teams are playing more quarters coverage now. Um, I kind of wonder if it's like, you know, I think a lot of people say, all right, well, you play cover three to give you an extra number in the box and uh, you know, help against the run. I feel like quarters, You've got the, you know, the safeties are going to be part of the run fit. They're going to they have part run of the respons- run fit. Yeah, they're, they're going to have run responsibility. I've just always felt with quarters that it, it can be tough to to play a lot of quarters unless you major in it, right? Like you talk about like the yeah. Ron Rivera and, you know, you look at uh, up in Buffalo with uh, Sean McDermott, like those teams have typically played quarters. And when, the, you know, when they're clicking, like those guys, they master quarters, like they play it and they play it really, really well. And the teams that just kind of like, uh, you know, we, well, we play a little bit of quarters. That's where you see the bus typically because it's a tough yeah, numbers to play. I think one of the things with quarters that you do see not with every team, but I I like it. And I remember talking to some coaches about this. Um, A lot of teams are now coaching in quarters for their corners to play more man technique. Yeah. Otherwise you can get stuck as you well know, without going into like an X and O seminar here. I know you know what I'm talking about, but the thing with quarters, particularly if you're getting a two by two set or even just twins to one side is if number two runs vertical, Okay, that's the responsibility of the quarter safety to that side. So if you're if if your outside corner is playing with outside leverage and then number one, let's say, runs to the post. You have an outside leverage corner with no safety help. Basically, that, a lot. There are so many big problem. plays every week in the yeah. NFL where it's like, you know, the, the corner is just passing the receiver off to nobody. And people say, like, right. oh, well, what's going on? A lot of the times it's quarters coverage. <laughs> right. Mean, so, so it can be tricky, yeah. So I think, you know, quarters essentially, as you all well know, and again, we don't want to get into a seminar here. We want to get back to the Niners and the Eagles. But quarters is, is maybe one reason teams are playing it more as we're just discussing it is there are matchup principles to it far more than there are in cover three. Mm. Yeah. So I think there's that man element to, to quarters that does not exist in cover three the same way. That's, that's probably a, a very valid point. So, um, you know, again, a little bit of a change in the guard with, uh, you know, with Robert Sala in San Francisco. We mentioned Pete Carroll. Uh, to me, from what I've seen, Seattle's playing a little bit more quarters than I would have yeah. ever seen them play in the past. Um, but getting back to this defense, the other big thing, too, is that this isn't just, oh, yeah, four guys get up the field. And even when all their guys were healthy, when, uh, you know, when Nick Bosa was in there, you get the third down. It's a, a variety of different pass rush looks. You go five over five. They were one of the biggest five over five teams last year with that diamond front. You get nickel pressures. You get double A gap looks. You get lots of stunts. Even with those blue chip defensive linemen, uh, they'll drop defensive linemen into coverage on man exchanges and zone pressures. I mean, they, they do some good things from a blitz standpoint. Yeah, and, and one of the things they do, um, they didn't do a ton of it this week, and maybe it's because they have – you know, they've had to make some changes on their D-line. Who knows, maybe with another week they'll do they'll do it against the Eagles. Is But what they did it a ton last year and through the first couple of games is um, those tilted fronts. Yeah, a ton of them. Yeah, they didn't do a ton of them this week. Yep. Um, and then they love Fred Warner. He's kind of the wild card linebacker who kind of roams, you know, opposite the front. He could be a three-technique rusher. He could show it, then back off. And then Fred Warner is just, you know, he's – to me, I don't top, know your top three, top three linebacker in the league right now. I was just going to say that. He's yeah. a top three linebacker. And and because the nine – look, Nick Bosa got hurt, obviously, but because of Nick Bosa, because of what he did in the Super Bowl, because of Richard Sherman being there, you know, not a, people, not a lot of people talk about Fred Warner, but he is a great, great player. Unbelievable in coverage, uh, high energy, really violent player. I mean, with, with him and Quan Alexander, they might have the best linebacking duo in the NFL. I, I – I mean, I guess it's with with Seattle, right? With what they've got with uh, with Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. But I mean, those guys are are really fast. They're athletic. They're I'll, I'll tell you one other team, by the way, just for talking ball. Yeah, is Matt Milano and Tremaine. Tremaine. Yeah, it's a good one too. Yep, sure. Really, really good nickel duo. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think you look at these two guys and. It, they're they're a fun they're a fun group to watch. They're a fun pair to watch. Quan Alexander missed the, la- the missed. And you know, you know, just from a. A, pers- a personal standpoint, don't know the guy individually, but I loved him coming out of college and he's been snake bitten. It was good to see Jason Verrett back out there. 
That's a good point. Yeah. That's I mean, I, I loved him coming out. I thought he was going to be a great pro and he just got yeah. snake bit with injuries. But that kid, and again, who knows what he had left. He ran a couple of times with Darius Slayton on vertical routes and looked okay. Uh, you know, looked fine, ran with him. But I thought he'd be a big time corner coming out of college. Yeah, he's uh, obviously the injuries have just been too much for him. And at corner, they've needed help, right? I mean, they, that was a, a little bit of a sore spot for them last year, even though they went to the Super Bowl. Uh, they're down Richard Sherman, who's in on injured reserve. Mosley got hurt this week. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, Mo, so Mosley gets hurt. They brought Witherspoon in to star. You talk about Verrett. Uh, they're, they're hurting on the outside corner spot. They brought back Deontay Johnson, who they drafted a number of years ago. That's right. He's kind of a hybrid safety corner, I believe, at NC State. Yeah. And had, has the trait. Always looked like he had the traits to play corner. Never quite worked out. But he's the one who replaced Mosley this week. Yeah, that's a good point. And then they, they've got the two safeties in, in Jimmy Ward and Jaquiski. Good Tom. players. Yeah. Uh, tell, tell us about those two guys and what they bring to the table. Well, <clears throat> Ward has corner skills because yep. Ward played some corner in college. And, you know, one thing that they've always done with Ward going back to last year, maybe even the year before, is when teams line up in three by one sets with um, and, and I think you, you'll probably see the Eagles do this, where the tight end is the single receiver to the short side of the field. They are really, really comfortable with Ward matching up man-to-man -man on the wide receiver who's number three to trips. They're totally comfortable with that because Ward has corner skills, and this way they leave a corner on the tight end. Mm. And, you know, again, we'll see what the Eagles do. Obviously, they were big on one-by-three sets this week. They did it at times out of 12 personnel with Richard Rodgers, but if they choose to do it out of three wide, it would not surprise me at all if the – 49ers play man if they leave a corner on Ertz and just match up Ward to the number three wide receiver at trips. That's a good point. And that's something certainly to watch in this game. And, and Jaquiski Tart, uh, a very good physical player. downhill player. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and the other a, thing, again, this comes back to film study is one of the things is Ward is a good blitzer. And a lot of times when you see Ward in the box and Tart, the single high safety, that's an alert, you know, for Carson. And, and and the old line, it's not just Carson, it's everybody, that Ward could be blitzing. They like Ward in the box to blitz. Yep, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And he's got that burst to close. Uh, Kawan Williams at the nickel corner, good nickel corner uh, for them. That's probably their strongest cornerback play, honestly, is from the slot with Williams. Uh, let's go to the defensive line. Obviously, they lose Nick Bosa. Um, he's, a, he's a great player. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's a really great player. But they've got some guys, man. I mean, you look at Eric Armstead, number 91, uh, just a unique player with his size and athleticism, uh, very versatile skill set, can line up outside and win as well as he does inside. He's a really smart pass rusher. He's never deeper than the quarterback. He just wins in a couple different ways. And then, look, you look across that line, um, you know, Javon Kinlaw, they took in the top 15 this year to replace DeForest Buckner. And, man, he is he's looked good, man. I mean, the timing with his hands is a little bit off as a pass rusher. He's not all the way there yet, but he is so long. He is strong. He is powerful. He's got a high motor. He plays with high energy. He's just a handful to block in the run game and in the pass game. Just consistent knockback on contact. Yeah, he's, he's a little reminiscent. Again, it's, it might be early, but I'm just talking about trade, size, all those things you just mentioned of Chris Jones. Yeah. And, you know, and the other thing, it was fascinating to see Ziggy Ansah and Dion yep. Jordan yep. getting meaningful snaps this week. That's what they brought both those guys in after yeah. the injuries to Bosa and to uh, Solomon Thomas. And, um, you know, the, D Ford, I think they like him coming, kind of coming off the bench in an ideal world. Kerry Hyder is the guy, 92. He does not look the part, Greg. He's, this has been the case in Detroit. It was the case in Dallas. It's the case now. But he's a good football player. Like, I agree he's with you. He is always around the football. He's a technician. He's, he's versatile. He can line up inside and outside. Um, he's, a, he's a nice player. He's a really nice player. Um, and DJ Jones at nose tackle is a guy I've always liked going back to Ole Miss. Uh, high effort, spark plug kind of, kind of nose tackle. Uh, D Ford, I mentioned earlier, they like him off the bench and, and sub packages. They, they will move him around. Uh, they'll stand him up over centers and guards. Really effective on stunts, but – he wants to win with speed and just run by people. That, that is his game. He's been banged up with injuries a little bit, but um, you know he's got the ability to be a real threat off the edge. And you mentioned they took the, the they picked up the former top ten picks there in Deion Jordan and Ezekiel Ansa, uh, former Jim Schwartz defensive end, um, to to rush off the edge with those guys. So it's a it's a deep group along the defensive line. And like I said, they they come at you in a lot of different ways, a lot of different pressure looks on third down, lots of stunting. So. Uh, it's a, it's going to be a big assignment week for the Eagles offensive line as well. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is just because Bosa's out uh, and even Solomon Thomas, who's, you know, was a solid player, not a great pass rusher, but but just because Bosa's out, you can't just assume that this group now isn't any good. I mean, they 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 have some good players. You know, you mentioned Jones. Um, he's another one of those sort of stoutly built guys that is really light on his feet. Like he obviously he's he's not at the level of a Grady Jarrett in terms of, you know, his production, but he's got that kind of movement. He's very light on his feet for a man built like that. I would agree. I would agree. Well, Greg. This is uh, it's gonna be a matchup. It's gonna be interesting to watch and see how yep. the Eagles are able to put this together offensively. Uh, see if the defense can kind of build off what they did in Week Three against a, a really tough matchup with the San Francisco 49ers. We'll talk about it next week right here on the Eagle Line of Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks for joining us here for more Chalk Talk. All right, Fran, appreciate it. Before we continue with this episode, I, I've just got one question for you. Did you know that four years ago in 2016? 100 million eligible voters did not participate in the general election. That's the same size as the entire U.S. television audience for the Super Bowl. That is a crazy high number, and it is something that we as a nation have to fix. Important decisions that affect each of our lives are made, not just by the presidential election, but by our local elections. And if you don't vote, then those decisions that affect you are going to be made by voters who may not share your values and may not share your priorities. So if you do not vote, you give away your power. You give away your voice. It's so easy, so easy to get registered to vote. And it's just as easy to double check if you're registered. You want to know how I know that, that it's that easy? Because I just did it over the weekend. All you have to do is text E-A-G-L-E-S, text EAGLES to 26797, and you can either register to vote right there on your phone, or you can check your registration status. And it's not a bot. You're talking to a person. You get things solved very, very quickly. It is super easy. It's really fast. And most of all, it's extremely important. Please, it is all of our civic duty to make sure that all of our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Well, great stuff there from Greg. You can follow on Twitter at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know, I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. Leave us a question. I wanted to give a shout out to someone who did just that. They left a rating and a comment. And that is Philly Wood, who left us a five-star review saying that they love the show. It's the only one, the only podcast that they can listen to after a loss that won't make them want to throw their phone. And so thanks, Philly Wood, uh, for that rating, and thanks for the comment. Really, really appreciate uh, your continued listenership throughout the course of the last few years. Special thanks to Greg Cosell and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week.